welcome back to another episode of Mesoamerican Studies On Air. We are very lucky to have Mackenzie Walters on the show today. Mackenzie is a third-year graduate student at the University of Texas at Austin. She completed a BA in Linguistics and Anthropology at Tulane University in 2015 and an MA in Linguistic Anthropology in 2017, also from Tulane. Her research interests focus on comparative linguistics and reconstruction, phonology, morphology, writing systems, and Mayan languages. She is working on a project to write a lesson series for the Linguistic Research Center at UT that will teach users colonial Chulti. She also works on a linguistic revitalization project with the Tunica Language Working Group, which is a collaboration between the Tunica Biloxi Tribe of Louisiana and Tulane University to reawaken the Tunica language. Mackenzie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Now, before we get started, could you tell me a little bit about the research that you're working on and what your focus is? My focus right now is nominalization, so making nouns out of other things. And this happens all over the place in English, right? Uh, construction, out of construct. You're adding a shun suffix to a verb to make a noun out of it. I am moving toward working on morphology right now. Um, so that's studying the parts of words. Mm-hmm. So my favorite example um, is the word teachers. It is one word, but it's made up of three different parts, right? So you have the root teach, which is, you know, a verb that means to instruct somebody in something or show somebody something. And then you have this er suffix, the er, that basically means someone who does that thing. And there's, it can change depending on what word it goes on, but more or less. It's what we call an agentive. So it takes the verb and highlights the the agent or the person who does it. So a teacher is one who teaches. And so morphology is the sort of the study of how words build and go together um, and what happens with sounds when they combine. And so stuff like um, leaf becomes leaves with a V when it gets this mm-hmm. final suffix on it. So morphology kind of looks at that and the sound changes. And also the change in and grammar and meaning when you start like building words up together. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the research that you did this summer? You were in Jocotan, Guatemala. Tell me a little bit about what you were doing and how that ties in with your general research. I was trying to record and document certain aspects of um, modern Chorti, which is the Mayan language that's spoken in that area. Um, And I was also comparing modern Chorti to colonial Cholti which was spoken around contact um, and was documented by missionaries, but we don't have much of that. Um, but a couple of weeks in, I realized that the project that I was hoping to do um, for the paper that I have to write this year wasn't going to work. So I totally shifted gears. So what, what did you change your focus to? Um, so I ended up, so I've got a conference talk coming up in October on a particular suffix that makes nouns out of transitive verb stems, so verbs that take a subject and an object. Um, and so I knew for this conference talk that I needed to be looking for evidence of similar things in related languages, because I found the suffix in Chulti, the colonial language. Um, and so I decided to, I had found what I think is that same suffix, it's got to be, in modern Chorti. And so I started sort of exploring that suffix and the other prefixes and suffixes that can go with it and sort of what you can and can't do with it um, and different ways of making nouns in modern Chorti. So that's kind of my focus right now is nominalization. So coming at this as a comparative linguist, how does that affect your interests? 
Yeah, so my focus is um, comparative linguistics. So my interest is in, is in looking at different related modern languages and sort of reconstructing the changes in earlier forms of the languages. Um, so Chorsi is really, really closely related to Chulti, which are both really close to the language of the hieroglyphs, cl classic Mayan um, is sort of the most common name now. But I'm also gonna be pulling data from Chol and Chantal that are also really closely related, although a little more distantly. Um, and I'm gonna be comparing nominalization strategies on transitive verbs right now in all of these different languages to look at how the use of these suffixes have changed over time as compared to the Cholti manuscript and then hopefully back to the hieroglyphs and um, proto-cholin which is part of the um, Maya family tree. Awesome. Um, so one thing that I really wanted to talk, to talk to you about because I feel like you are a really good person to talk to about this topic a lot of the listeners may not know about the number and variety of Mayan dialects. Could you talk a little, a little bit to that point about how many there are and how they're connected to the language? Yeah. Of the so um, when we talk about Mayan languages today, depending on how you kind of count them and break them up, um, there are roughly 33 different Mayan languages that are being spoken today, 22, I think, of which are spoken in Guatemala, and so it's, it's a pretty good hotbed of them. And so there are four major branches of Mayan languages, kind of like in, so English is part of the Indo-European family. Um, it's, of course, related to like German and French and Spanish, including some languages of, of um, India and it, it's it's a it's a really big family and so there are also lots of branches in that so like in like the Germanic branch right um, and like the like mm -hmm. Romance branch of the family and so there are the same thing in in the Maya family tree and there are four main branches so there's the Yucatecan branch that's mostly up in Mexico and then the um, Westecan branch that is actually really interesting um, when you're looking at comparative linguistics in the, the family and then the Eastern and Western branches. And so as this is moving down, the languages change over time um, and they become more, more different as people migrate and move across space and change happens for lots of different reasons, right? So people just don't have contact, or even if they do, they're trying to speak differently than other people because language has to do with, with identity. Um, it's a lot of why we now speak differently than like British English speakers is because when the colonists were breaking away, they didn't want to sound like the British cousins as part of their identity of breaking away from Britain. Um, but also just the language evolves in different ways when there's less contact. And so the family broke apart into the 33 modern languages that we have now. The language of the hieroglyphs is particularly interesting. So it's somewhat late in the breaking apart of the family tree. It's, it's unique in the family because we have obviously the writing system that, rec that records the language. And so we have record of this, this historical language, which isn't something that we get very often. It's sort of like having documents in Latin, right? That we can like look back, we don't have to compare French and Spanish and, and Romance and Italian to reconstruct Latin, we have those documents. And so classic Mayan is kind of like that, that you can kind of check yourself and see, you know, okay, so like, for example, English H and Spanish Jota, that's a little bit of a 
louder sound. We're two distinct sounds in the language of the hieroglyphs. They're not in most Mayan languages today. So we can like look for that kind of thing. But it's also worth keeping in mind that um, this was a really prestigious language. And so it was spoken really widely across the lowlands of the Maya area. But speakers in those areas also spoke other languages, right? So classic Mayan would have been at least known, if not fairly somewhat widely spoken in, in the Yucatan, but also they were speaking Yucatec and there would, have, there would have been other languages there too. And so there was an interaction between classic Mayan and other sort of local Mayan languages. And then, you know, classic Mayan was also a prestige language because it was the language of sort of the elites in the writing system. Um, and so it had a lot of effect on the other languages. So you see borrowings and sound changes that happen because of contact with classic Mayan that didn't happen like neatly in the other branches of the family. And it's also interesting because toward the end of the use of the writing system, um, especially in like the codices, you see shifts in spelling. Um, so you can see where words were starting to be pronounced differently. And also in the codices, there's lots of influence from Yucatec. And so there's some really cool stuff to see there with spelling and grammar. One of the best or most famous examples is um, the word for snake. So generally speaking, when you see the word sign for snake, it's red chan. Um, but there, this ch sound... Um, alternated in certain of the language with a K, like a K. And so the the ruling dynasty at Kalakmul was the Khan dynasty. They were the snake dynasty, but they were Khan, not Chan. And so usually when you saw their name spelled, it always had a Ka syllable before it to show you that it was a K, not the Ch. And so even contemporarily, you see these variations. But I mean, yeah, you can see if you look into the details and the language itself and not just the meaning, that there's all kinds of variation recorded in language across space and time. I feel like that's a perfect explanation of that. So let's tie that back into your research. So how do these ideas of change through space and time connect with the research that you're doing now? I'm sort of in the first steps of my comparison. There are some archives of data that other people have gathered. So I'm going to look in ILA, the one here at UT, which is the Archive of Indigenous Languages of Latin America. It's a really great archive and it's got, it should have some data on Chorty that I'll also use to look for the words that I was looking for in context, so like in stories and things. And then I'll also look for data in Chol and Chantal that are the other living related languages. And I'll start looking for what's the same and what's different, which will tell me something about how the suffix has changed in pronunciation and use over time. And then I can also use my my data in colonial Cholti to as sort of a benchmark to be sort of reconstructing this suffix and how it's changed, mostly use, I think, over time back to Proto-Cholan and eventually back to Proto-Mayan. That sounds great. So what would you say is the most important thing about your work? What does it help us understand about language? So um, one of the most important things about studying any language is that it is telling well, it's documenting and it's telling us something about, I mean, modern humans, right? And it's, it tells us something about humans as a society and as a species, and we can watch how they change over time. And we can also use my work in particular, the um, comparative work, to look back in time. So just a basic example, through comparative 
of linguistics, we can reconstruct a vocabulary that like the Proto-Maya had. And that tells us something about their world, like culturally. So one thing I learned recently that was super cool. Um, so in Maya culture today, tortillas are like super integral. They're like at every meal. Um, and at least some of the groups, a woman is like less marriable if she can't make tortillas well, which <laughs> I'm terrible at it. <laughs> but I mean, we, we can tell from reconstruction and from the modern words that you can't reconstruct a word for tortilla even back to like classic times. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, so the diet was at least that much different that like they weren't eating tortillas. Corn was still integral, right? Like there's no getting around that, but they were eating it in other forms. Um, I guess the other side of the coin of, or of that coin though is, is to remember that just because we don't have a word for something doesn't mean that they didn't have it. It, you know, could be that that word has mm-hmm. been lost over time or it's been replaced by a word from another culture. So there's lots of borrowings in Mayan languages from like Nahuatl, for example languages that they would have had contact with, right? Or we, you know, just don't have enough data to reconstruct a word that was there. But still, you know, we have, we can reconstruct, like, a word for, like, sharks. So we know that they had sharks and, and or they knew about them at least, right? So these were probably right. sharks, but, like, so they were around bodies of water that had that, right? Yes, and I think that's a perfect illustration of why the work that you're doing is so important to contributing to knowledge that we have about the Mayan hieroglyphic writing system. Mackenzie, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show today. It was really great to get to talk to you and hear all about the research that you're doing. Thank you, Kate, for this interview. It was a lot of fun to talk about my work. Hopefully it made some sense. And if people are interested in it, I'm always happy to talk to people if they could have my email or something, if I can make that available. Absolutely. For anyone interested, Mackenzie's email address is mcwalters at utexas.edu. She could be reached there for inquiries about the work that she's doing. And if you want her to talk on another podcast episode, I'm sure she'd be happy to. For more information about the Mayan hieroglyphic writing system, be sure to check out MesoamericanStudiesOnline.com to get access to a free workshop where you can learn to write your own name in Mayan hieroglyphics. Be sure to tune in next week when we will interview Catherine McCarthy, a PhD student at Columbia University, who will bring us our first taste of the Aztec Empire. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.